Welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we'll be covering the Republican Party of Kentucky, or RPK, is looking at some rule changes in an upcoming state convention. Cameron unveils his catch-up plan for schools, and Kentucky Association of Health Plans continues this new age practice of bribing people to get medical treatments. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But first, please remember to like, comment, share, subscribe, spread the word uh, about the show here. Turn to the people next to you if you're listening somewhere and remind them to be watching. Tell your conservative friends to, to watch or listen. If you're listening on the podcast-only forum, please leave a review. Uh, all that helps. And without further ado, let's dig into it. So Republican Party of Kentucky is looking at some rule changes that their upcoming state convention. And at this convention uh, is where they will have their rule changes. And there are two rule changes that is worth discussing because it does have ramifications overall on the rest of the state. And maybe you're not a member of your local Republican Party. And uh, to be quite honest, I myself am not a uh actual member of my local Republican Party, because with that membership come certain rules and responsibilities that perhaps I don't want to partake in. But perhaps you are a part of your local party. And I encourage you to be a part of your local party if that is a way for you to get involved. And But regardless of who you are, if you're a conservative in Kentucky, being aware of these rule changes matters quite a bit. And I'm going to explain why with this first rule change. So the first thing they're looking at doing is changing the way that their slate of electors to the national nominating convention uh, is chosen. So presidential primaries are a bit different than your standard primaries as they are coming together of all states in a way. So what happens in presidential primaries is each state has their own way of selecting their slate of electors to go to the national conventions for the respective parties. Then after those slate of electors are uh, elected through a process in each state, they go then to the national convention where then they cast the ballots how they've been, quote unquote, instructed to cast them. And what I mean by instructed is each state has their own set of rules. Now, for years and years and years in the state of Kentucky, the way it worked was is if you've got 15% or more of the vote during the primary, then you would receive an amount of votes that is proportional to your uh, percentage you got. So there's a, a roundabout, I believe there's 48 or nine, there's around about 50 or so electors from Kentucky. And those then electors are doled out based on the percentages you won, as long as you won at least 15%. And there were some rules about rounding. But then the other way that parties are allowed to do this is by just giving all to whoever wins the most votes. In fact, KRS 118-641 is a law that prescribes these parties have these two options. They can either get, dole out uh, electors based upon who gets 15% or more, or they can dole out electors on a winner takes all instead of a partial split. Now, for years and years, it was a partial split method. Um, but then in 2019, it was changed to a winner takes all system. 
And this was during, of course, President Trump's reelection campaign. And for some reason, it was changed. I can't tell you why. I don't know why it was changed. I wasn't uh, uh, privy to that discussion at that time. Um, but it was changed. This had never been changed before like this. I dug back uh, and looked at the last time we had an incumbent Republican president, which would have been George Bush um, when he was running for re-election. And I looked at the rule change from that prior year, and uh, the rules still maintained that it would be split based on percentage. So this wasn't something that they did. Uh, they just do whenever there's an incumbent president in there to make sure they protect an incumbency, and that might be a claim that they make. But rather, this was a change made. But now this year, they're looking at changing it back. And the question is why? Obviously, changing it back in this way, splitting it up, as I've been informed, uh, is, is being driven by a desire to provide avenues of other candidates to win other than Trump. Because after all, if it's winner takes all and Trump is still pulling in 30 or 40 percent of the vote in Kentucky during a primary, then and that's the most if there's several candidates still in the race, well, then he would take all the electors under the current rule. So they're looking at changing that. Like I said, I for some reason, they changed it. They could be changing back. Could have nothing to do with Trump. I've been told it has to do with Trump. I could be wrong. But there's a good reason why people would think that the Republican Party of Kentucky may be changing their rules in order to make it harder for Trump to win the presidency. All you have to do is look at this article from Political. It is titled McConnell in Winter Inside the GOP Leader's Attempt to Thwart Trump, the Kentucky Republican, is doing all he can to bolster Ukraine, preserve NATO, and help his party maintain its Reaganite roots. That's what the Politico article is called. This is from just a few days ago. This was just published a few days ago. And what's in the article? Right. And, and they're talking about McConnell's in winter, meaning he's coming to the end of, of obviously his term and his life. It's just facts that matter. Uh, not trying to be grim about it. And uh, it seems he's being more brazen and open about how much he doesn't like Trump. Now, we always known he hasn't. But the writer in this article, Jonathan Martin, said that he was there, that Martin was there to discuss his forceful and out of vogue campaign to keep Republicans defending Ukraine. Obviously, uh, Ukraine is not a popular topic with Republicans. They don't want to see us continue to be dumping billions of dollars with no oversight, no endpoint, no discussion at all in the future. And McConnell's been very loud that Ukraine is the most important thing and we should stay there. And that's what he came there to talk about, defending uh, about, about those out of steps. And when the, the writer there asked him if he was doing this to fill a national security vacuum left in the GOP by the death of former Senator John McCain. So he's just simply asking, are you just doing this to fill in that vacuum? Ms. McConnell's response was not, yes, I think this is important. Yes, what have you. His response was, I wasn't thinking of it in that way. I was thinking of it in terms of the reservations the previous president seemed to have and has expressed in his current campaign. You see, as the article goes on to point out, McConnell absolutely hates Trump. He doesn't just hate Trump because he represents a, a, 
force that McConnell has to fight against, a threat to McConnell's power. But he also hates Trump because Trump pushes an isolationism, or at least a version of it, where we ask, why are we spending billions of dollars overseas? Why do we continue to make these decisions that not only cost the American taxpayers billions of dollars, but end up to make things worse, where we found ourselves in many a conflicts where um, America is funding both sides of a conflict and they're literally just throwing our own money at each other, shooting each other with bullets purchased with our money. And it's left a lot of people in the conservative movement to ask and say, you know, maybe we need to be more isolationist. This used to be a viewpoint of the Democrats. Obviously, the Democrats have abandoned their anti-war point. And more and more of the people looking at war and saying this probably isn't a great thing is coming from the Republican side of things. And it shouldn't be a great shock. I mean, after all, we're supposed to be fiscal conservatives and we look around at the government and it's massive spending and we ask, I'm being taxed to no end, to quote Oliver Anthony, my dollar ain't shit and it's taxed to no end, but yet we're sending billions of dollars overseas and our local schools yell out they need funding, our roads yell out they need funding, everybody yells out that they need funding, but here we are sending billions overseas. Now, if a person could articulate the hard point here, but this is not the point they want to hear, which is quite honestly, national security is actually one of the few roles of government. That if government cut back its spending, military spending is actually one of the few places where, according to the Constitution, it is our national government's responsibility. Now, we can debate about what that looks like, how much do we get involved into foreign conflicts, so on and so such. It was James Madison who famously said on the congressional floor that I struggled to find the line in the Constitution that allows you to spend our constituents' money for benevolent reasons. And there he was talking about sending foreign aid to a country. And so we find ourselves many of the same times talking about that. But I think what McConnell's missing is that the government has changed a lot since he was first elected in the 80s, uh, quite a long time ago. See, the government has grown much larger and much more invasive. And while his viewpoint is probably informed by the massive amounts of donors he has that benefits from these types of conflicts like defense contractors, like energy companies, and so on and so forth, the list goes on and on. However, I also think he and others have used these overseas conflicts because if we're united in our belief that, well, yeah, they're an enemy of America, let's get them, and we have this kind of common enemy, like we've seen when we were in Russia with the Cold War or terrorism abroad uh, during the early 2000s, well, then the people are distracted. We're united behind one enemy. One of the ways that Cuba has stayed together under Fidel Castro and now, of course, his descendant, is to blame America for all their problems, creating an existential foreign enemy. This isn't a new idea. Back in the 70s, the UN talked about how they could unite the government under one world power, did this with a, a special think group, and the things they brought up was a disease, alien invasion, or we were literally killing ourselves with global warming. Draw your conclusions from that. But anyways, we to, the best way to unite people is to create a common enemy. That's why Olympic and sports teams uh, uh, really unite the people because the common enemy is the others, at least it used to, until, of course, the people we started sending to the Olympics uh, hated their country, and then that kind of ruined the part of it. But they've used that to 
kind of throw up a smokescreen or distract us from the other things that government was doing. And I don't think McConnell recognizes where we are as a country as far as debt goes either. We are in massive amounts of debt, and we got to start thinking about where do we make cuts at. This isn't the time to just spend like crazy. It's more likely, I think, that McConnell knows exactly what he was doing because his behavior above all has been to seek power. He doesn't just support Republicans. If you put an R next to your name, you make it through a primary. McConnell doesn't necessarily support you. He supports the Republicans who agree with him. Just take a look at our most recent federal elections. He put money behind the Republicans that would bend their knee, and those who didn't, he certainly uh, did not financially support, certainly not to the same degree. So these rule changes at the Republican Party of Kentucky, these rule changes by them, it's justified for us to think that it's all in order to attack the ability for Trump to win the primary election. Because, of course, that's the last thing McConnell wants. And after all, Republican Party of Kentucky's headquarters is called the Mitch McConnell Building. Because he bought it. Really demonstrating how anything that the state party is trying to do from leadership down, well, we can look at their motivations and looking at McConnell and what he's doing and what his stated motivations are certainly is one place to find it. But that's not the only rule change that the Republican Party of Kentucky is looking at. No, they're also looking at requiring the county chairman to call special meeting instead of just five members of the county committee. So in the Republican Party, there is two ways that your counties can be organized. It can be organized as an executive committee, such as what we have in a place like Lexington or Louisville, very large uh, uh, counties that have a lot of voting precincts, or it can be what's called a county committee, where three members, the chair, vice chair, and uh, youth chair from each precinct um, can be a voting member of the county committee. So in smaller counties where you have, uh, you know, maybe 30 or 40 precincts, you then can have voting groups as big as 120. And at these county committees and, and change to a county committee, uh, what we've seen in these county committee set up uh, counties is a, a takeover to a degree from the non-establishment Republicans. We've seen this in Harding County. We've also seen this recently in Campbell County, where chairs uh, of the county were ousted by members of their own party because the chair was representing, of course, the uh, quote-unquote establishment uh, views and the establishment guidelines and the establishment rules and the people coming in didn't like that so much, right, wrong, or indifferent. You may agree, you may disagree. It really comes down to what do you think that your local parties are for? Is your local parties just there to simply get Republicans elected, put forward anybody with an R next to their name, or is their job to protect the Republican Party platform? In that case, simply putting an R next to your name, which after all isn't that hard. Here in Kentucky, you simply go online and fill out a registration card, and now you're a registered Republican. Doesn't mean that your actual values have changed. 
But if it's to protect the party platform, well, then that changes the dynamics of things. And that's, I believe, the real struggle we're seeing. Uh, the quote unquote establishment, more so leadership that believes if there's an R next to your name, you be supported by your local Republican Party and the people who believe that the platform is the most important and simply because you say you're a Republican doesn't mean you will receive the party's support. Depends on how you fall there. But these individuals that believe the party is about the platform and not as much about just supporting all Republicans um, has seen some success across the state in removing chairs and, and kind of, quote unquote, taking over the parties. And it used to be that uh, the way that they would do this and the rules, how they've been, is that simply five members of the county committee sign on to a sheet calling for a day for a special meeting to be called with, of course, what the subject of that special meeting is. And then as long as it's at least, uh, um, I believe, five business days notice, um, they can call the meeting whenever they want to. And then, of course, still 15% of the county committee must show up in order for it to be a quorum, which doesn't sound like a lot. But remember, some of these county committees can be as big as 100, 200 people. So at least 15% need to show up for it to be a quorum, and then they could do business. Well, the rule change uh, that they're looking at would be to change that to where five people sign on to call a meeting, then the county chair shall call the meeting at, within at least 45 days. This provides some opportunity, obviously, to the more establishment Republicans to hold on to their power. Not only does it give them 45 days, but it gives them time to seek out and convince those votes that could be waffling, drive out their people to make sure they're there at the meetings, change it around. It gives them opportunities to try to hold on to that power. It also begs the question what happens. It says shall. So if they don't call the meeting, I guess then they would have to be sued to call the meeting over that. See, so remove. So, so at these votes that were taking place that were being called by just five people with 15% showing up, they, and it, they were removing chairs in the process of doing that because the process wasn't relying upon a chair to call it. And they can't have that. So now the chair has to call that meeting within 45 days, or at least that is a rule they're looking at putting in place. Maybe that's a rule you support. Maybe it's not. It doesn't matter. But here is my suggestion to you. If you are a member of your local county parties or a member of uh, your, your local county committees and you uh, are worried about either of the rules I talked about or if you are a Republican living in the county, uh, contact your county chairman your county vice chairman, and let them know how you feel. After all, those chairmen will be the ones actually voting on these rule changes. And so being able to voice your opinion to them, I think is incredibly important. So my suggestion, if you don't like them changing up how presidential primaries are decided, you don't like them changing up uh, the ability to remove chairs from the party, uh, voice your opinion to the chairs of your local parties. Coming up after this, Cameron releases his school catch-up plan. We'll go over that right after this short break. 
All right, Cameron's catch-up plan. So uh, here this week, Cameron has unveiled his school catch-up plan. Uh, that's not catch-up like that goes on a burger. Cameron's catch-up plan is about schools. And this is a graphic from the actual campaign. Um, it says, fully funded tutoring program, restore classroom discipline, and surge resources to teachers and classrooms. So what is Cameron proposing? Well, Cameron is saying in rightfully so, that Bashir shutting down our public schools or allowing them to continue to be shut down, because understand, the school boards made the decisions, there's a lot of pressure from the states, but the school boards made the decisions, but there is a law in Kentucky that requires schools to go to school um, to only have 10 NTI days. Remember, they had snow days, you have NTI days, and remember that they were on NTI for like a year during COVID. And uh, that wouldn't legally have been allowed. Normally, you only get 10 NTI days, according to state statute. But Bashir, because he declared an emergency, was able to suspend that statute and allow schools to stay out. Now, of course, this has caused massive amounts of failure in our schools. You know, I remember Louisville schools were one of the last ones, Jefferson County Public Schools, were one of the last schools to return in the entire nation. So Cameron recognizes this and says that there's a lot of problems and we need to fix it. And his first few plans make uh, a lot of sense, but then we're going to talk about the bottom one. The first is a fully funded tutoring program. What he is proposing is the state set aside funds for an optional tutoring program that will prioritize children um, that are, are failing, of course, that are, that are struggling the most in order to get free school tutoring. And I think this is a pretty good idea to try to make up the difference for the damage government has caused. Obviously, as well, that um, tutoring uh, could certainly help. I mean, we've offered summer school. And, and back in my day, kids had summer school. If they failed a class, you went to school during the summer to get that one-on-one -on -one help to help catch you up. I, I don't know if they do summer school anymore. I haven't heard about it. If if you've heard about it, you can, of course, let me know. Um, but I, I, you can email the show, by the way, info at theandrewshow.com, info at theandrewshow.com. But anyways, um, I don't know if they offer summer school anymore, but offering a summer school and tutoring program that is optional, not required, that parents can enroll kids into. It sounds like a too awful of an idea if we're going to be spending our money on education, we might as well try to make up the gap, though it really doesn't deal with the overall issue. Because remember, a part of why these kids are behind, and one of the things that Cameron points out is that absentee amount and the absentee rating um, that we've seen at our public schools has been pretty um, bad, raising from 18 to 28%. But tutoring doesn't solve the absentee problem. The absentee problem is being caused by, of course, parents who don't give a care, and there's no amount of money that can solve that. So I like the tutoring plan. I think it's a pretty good idea overall. Obviously, uh, we already spend a lot of money on education, but um, that could be a good idea. But it also brings in some other issues, though. I mean, after all, if public schools... Uh, created this problem and government funding of education, government funded education created the problem. Obviously, they have of these kids being uneducated, coupled with parents not fulfilling their duties. How does more government funding of education solve it? I don't think that's an answer that uh, Cameron or Bashir 
because of course Bashir's super in favor of government funded schools um, can give. And it obviously points to why we need to see school choice. So that way we can see some uh, options like this coming out of free choice in, in higher quality schools. But that wasn't Cameron's only point. The other thing is restore classroom discipline. I think this is great. Um, certainly one of the, the big problems I see in public schools is you're unable to kick kids out of class. You just have to deal with them. And while that can sound harsh or what have you, it drags down the rest of the classroom. It just does. And in turn, all these kids end up failing or doing awful instead of just one or two that maybe need some more specific help and more disciplinary actions taken against them. So I'm in favor of that. But there is one point I want to push back on with Cameron, however. See, one of Cameron's points is to surge resources to teachers, saying teachers are not paid enough and he, as the state, wants to provide a raise. Now, of course, this is a promise Bashir's made, but Cameron can actually get it done because of the Republican legislature as far as uh, earmarking funds for that. Um, and I want to challenge him on that. Now, obviously, I know Cameron is trying. In fact, he stated during it that pretty much he was sorry Bevan offended you. And if you're a teacher, he's trying to buy back some of that teacher vote, which does ask a question, is this just a race to spend our money? I am a little disappointed, not a little, I'm a lot disappointed in the Cameron campaign that I haven't heard how he's going to save money. In fact, dirty little secret is the Republican uh, legislature, their current platform, not their stated platform, but based on the bills they have passed, mainly the bills to cut income tax, move to sales tax, the stated goals in that is for the state to bring in more money, is for the state to spend more money. Typically, when we see a Republican taking over from a Democrat governor, we'd be talking about ways that we can save, but that conversation isn't happening. I guess fiscal conservativeness is now an afterthought for Republicans. I, I mean, we've known that to be true for quite some time in their actions, but at least their words pretended it. Um, but that's not what we're seeing yet in this campaign. Hopefully the Cameron campaign comes out with something about how they're going to save us money and not just continue to spend more. But one place where he wants to spend more money is teachers' wages. He says, look, our teachers are paid too low. And on the surface, that may look true. I mean, Kentucky teacher pay ranks about seventh in starting wages and about seventh in average pay. The average... Kentucky teachers paid right around $50,000 a year. Now you'd sit there and say, wow, that is low. Not the 50,000 part necessarily, but a seventh and seventh in starting pay and seventh in, in, in average pay. That sounds really low. That's a big problem. Maybe Cameron and Bashir both are right to try to raise it. However, it does ignore one very important fact. See, according to U.S. News, Kentucky ranks third as one of the lowest cost of living states. In fact, that 50K a year that they're getting paid is about 6,000 more than the average bachelor recipient makes in Kentucky. It makes sense that Kentucky teachers would be paid in the lower portion of all average teachers because Kentucky's cost of living is lower than most states. In fact, only two other states who, by the way, pay their teachers less than us, have a lower cost of living. 
People want to call out the lower pay as if it's a problem without taking into account that proportionately our pay might be right in line, which based upon looking at other cost of livings, it appears that it is. But of course, this beat your drum on giving the teachers more money because that's absolutely what they need is what we've now come to expect from our politicians. Because if anybody stood up and challenged that, and if you're a teacher, I'm not saying maybe, maybe you individually deserve a raise, but just saying all teachers deserve a raise when our education system is failing. Last I checked, we don't typically give raises to people who are failing and maybe the teachers aren't failing, but the schools are. And like I said, individual teachers may need raises, but I ask you if you're a teacher and you're listening to this, tell me right now there's not a teacher in your school that doesn't deserve a raise. Of course there is. And this race to just constantly spend more and more of our money has got to stop somewhere. And we've got to be able to have an honest conversation. Honestly speaking, being in one of the lower average pays and lower starting pages makes a lot of sense for a state that is one of the lowest places to live and cost-wise in the nation. Well, coming up after this, the Kentucky Association of Health Plans continues this new age practice of just bribing people to get medical treatments. We'll have more right after this. All right, this is from an article from WEKU titled Health Group Offering Unlimited Ride Wristbands at Kentucky State Fair in Return for Getting Vaccinated. Now, this is not new, obviously. Every year we've seen for the last several years, a group or groups, Cabinet for Health and Family Services or Kentucky Association of Health Plans offered it last year, offering free ride wristbands, unlimited rides at the Kentucky State Fair if you go ahead and get vaccinated. Of course, taking advantage and bribing people of the most likely lower socioeconomical class of making healthcare decisions. And I say most likely of lower socioeconomical class, because generally speaking, you are not going to go get vaccinated for unlimited ride wristbands. If you are somebody of significant means, you would not necessarily do that. But this is from the article. When gates open at the Kentucky State Fair Thursday, some fairgoers will head straight to the Health Horizons Pavilion in South Wing B for a chance to have fun and improve their health. That's where, in return for being vaccinated, the Kentucky Association of Health Plans will hand out unlimited ride wristbands. Vaccines include MMR, tetanus, flu, and others. And in return for a brief pause, I wonder what the others are. And in return for a brief pause in the fun, participants can also spin a wheel for a chance to win other prizes. The association notes wristband supplies are limited. How have we normalized this? I mean, what an odd time 2021 was um, in forcing others to get medical treatments. Uh, I, I mean, what, what is, what's so funny too is from this article, this is article was wrote just a few days ago. The headline from the article shows, um, three people the picture in there shows three people uh all of them wearing cloth masks of course we now know not that we now know we some of us always knew that cloth masks uh don't really do anything but more importantly if you think um that you need to wear uh, a mask that you're in such sickness out there that in this day and age you need to wear a mask maybe you shouldn't be going to the fair it's certainly not required but also this this idea of bribing people to get healthcare. I mean, what it was a crazy time in 2021 when we're trying to force others to get medical treatments or trying to bribe them, but yet we've continued this forward. 
I mean, t this was really pervasive in 2021. Here, this is probably one of the most shocking slash funny videos uh, that I remember seeing from uh, 2021. This is Bill de Blasio in, uh, of course, New York City mayor. Uh, take a take a watch, take a listen. It's really going to help us out. And did you say free fries when you get vaccinated? Um, I got vaccinated. You're saying I could get this, these delicious fries? Wait a minute. But there's also a, a burger element to this. Let me, let me check with Bill Neidhart. Is it too early in the day to eat a burger? No. This can be breakfast? Okay. I want you to look at this and think about, again, some people love hamburgers, some don't. Really want to respect all ways of life. But if this is appealing to you, just think of this when you think of vaccination. Mmm. Vaccination. Mmm. <laughs> I'm getting a very good feeling about vaccination right this moment. What an odd time that we were alive. But it's not going away because we still have people like the Kentucky Association of Health Plans offering up ride wristbands at our state fair in order to get people to take medical treatments. I mean, just imagine how the left would feel if we did, I don't know, something like trying to pay people not to get abortions. Actually, we don't have to imagine how they would feel about it. Um, they have certainly filled that in as we've seen Elizabeth Warren going after crisis pregnancy centers for simply providing free ultrasounds to women who otherwise would be looking for abortions. Imagine what it would do and how, what a fits they would throw if we offered free burgers and fries to not murder your baby. They'd freak out about it. But yet here they are offering free rides and uh, of course, back then, burgers and fries, but free rides still to get the medical treatments that are determined, that they determine is most important to you. And and maybe this is coming from a good place. I'm not saying you shouldn't get vaccinated, these other vaccines and things. I'm saying talk to your doctor, do your research, um, use your brain, think about things. But what I am saying, though, is frankly, if you make a medical decision based upon whether or not you can ride rides for free that day. I, I, I just, I don't think that that is a good way to run society. I don't think it's a good way for you to make your medical decisions in the first place. As remember, we were told this between us and our doctor, right? We, we are told that constantly by the left when it comes to abortion, between women and our doctor. And we were told all the time when it came to the vaccine push for COVID, go talk to your doctor. But yet for some reason, um, they don't say go talk to your doctor in this case. No, they're trying to bribe people once again with free rides at the state fair. This is where Republicans have got to stand up to this. Elected Republicans have got to stand up to this. And I know I was just talking about Cameron uh, racing to the bottom on this side of things, but I'd love to see Cameron standing up and saying, look, this craziness on, on all these issues has got to stop. We've got to stop spending money. We've got to stop with this absolute out of control 
way. People are more depressed. They're overdosing. Our kids can't read, can't write. This isn't working and actually have an emotional appeal based upon statistical facts rather than just trying to pay off our teachers and, and deal with social issues that I'm not even a hundred percent sure most, most of these Republicans in office actually care about. Maybe they're just faking it. Well, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.